I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, welcome to the first Brian Moore's Full Contact of what is an important season. It's Rugby World Cup year. It won't be long now, just 30 Nine days before the start of the World Cup in Japan. This is Brian Moore's full contact in association with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors in the UK. We're here every Monday and we'll have the entire build-up and all the action through the tournament to discuss. Fresh off the back of beating Wales at Twickenham, England have named their 31-man squad for the World Cup. We'll be reacting to that in detail very shortly. The defeat at Twickenham yesterday was Wales' first in 14 matches and ended up, well, it ended their very brief stint at the top of world rankings. I think it was seven hours. Still, it's better than nothing, isn't it? Uh, should they be worried? We'll speak to the former Ospreys head coach, Sean Hawley, to get his take on the game and indeed the situation in Wales in general. In the Southern Hemisphere, South Africa have hit form just at the right time, as if they wouldn't do this off Argentina. Over the weekend to win the Rugby Championship and former Springbok captain Bob Skinstat will join us to talk about their chances in Japan. We'll also be debating player safety after controversial red card for New Zealand's Scott Barrett. It's split opinion between Kiwis and non-Kiwis as a new safe tackling law has been given a green light to trial this year. We'll be discussing that. We'll be discussing lots of other things, including lots of proposed law trials. And there are some interesting new proposals, glad to say, to discuss all this alongside me today is the former England, Newcastle and Northampton centre, Tom May. Hello, Tom. Hi, great to be here. Right, let's read the squad out for people who don't know it. It's the following. The England forwards are Dan Cole, Luke Cowan-Dickey, Tom Curry, Ellis Genge, Jamie George, Murray Toji, George Cruz, Joe Launchbury, Courtney Laws, Lewis Ludham, Joe Marler, Kyle Sinclair, Jack Singleton, Sam Underhill, Billy Vinipola, Makiwo Vinipola, Mark Wilson. And the backs are Joe Thocker Sr., Elliot Daly, Owen Farrell, George Ford, Pierce Francis, Billy Heinz, Jonathan Joseph, Johnny May, Rory McConaughey, Jack Noel, Henry Slade, Manu Tulangi, Anthony Watson and Ben Youngs. Notable absentees, no place for Danny Cipriani. No place for Ben Spencer of Saracens, a Saracens scrum half. And uh, Mike Brown, Danny Kerr, obviously not there either. Um, let's take the backs first, as, uh, as, as your expertise is, is certainly there. Um, as, a, as a comment on the whole, you can always argue about one or two. 
Having said that, this is a strong squad. Got a good demographic for the first time I can remember since 2003. England should be able to field a starting 15 as a requisite nearly 600 caps experience, which is required for teams to be successful in a World Cup. So that's a an opening point. Um, what about the backs, uh, the absentees and the nearlys for yeah, you? Look, I, look we, there's a lot of people that would have been wished that Danny Cipriani would have been on the plane. I think we've, we've known for a long time that that's probably pretty unlikely that it was going to happen. Um, there's some interesting debate, isn't there, around the scrum half area. That's a lot of work for Willie Hines and Ben Youngs to get through throughout Please, the whole yes. tournament. Um, but I guess we, on the flip side of that, he knows what he can get from Ben Spencer. He knows what he can get from Richard Wigglesworth um, and the likes of those, and Danny Kerr, for example, um, should he need to fly those out. I, I, like you say there, when you were talking about the whole squad, it's really strong, When even if you look at the guys that have been left out. Um, One cap player, McConaughey? Yeah, great opportunity. Would have played at the weekend if he hadn't picked up a knock. Um, I think he's done brilliantly well um, since he's, come to 15s from the sevens, um, raw pace. Um. See, a lot of people will not know who he is, and they'll be saying, what, what, what on earth is this? You, you look at him in sevens. He, he has the potential to embarrass. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and, and, you know, he's not, he's not a small lad either. No. And you start looking at these back three options that, that Eddie Jones has got with uh, Cockiness Singer, um, Jack Knoll, um, Watson... You know, he's probably the slightest of the of them all. Yeah, well, um, Johnny May's not not particularly slight either, is no, he? When you n- not you at all close up. And you know that the, the the first first back line that you would pick out of that, I, I, I you know you've got so many choices. Um, I, I think England are in a strong no position. No Bentil. No, uh, clearly something's gone on that that's ruffled Eddie's Eddie's feathers. Do you think it was anything to do with the supported spat between him and Mike Brown? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I tell I don't, you, I, I don't make I, I I make quite a light of that. If they were going to be picked, they would not have been picked. Not for at that all. Reason. And I think you know, it, if it's a spat, how many spats have we have we both seen throughout our, our careers? Whether it be on training parks or or team socials, like, you know, they happen. Yeah, because people were saying, well, it's different if it's team social. No, it's not really. It still happens. It still happens. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the fly-half options. I was very impressed with George Ford, actually. I, I, uh, I've previously been a, a minor critic of his, but I thought he, he ran the game extremely well against Wales. Yeah, and I think he's worked hard. He, he took a lot of stick, didn't he? Was it maybe 18 months, two years ago? Um, and especially around that Japanese fixture at, at Twickenham, he, he, was, he was, I guess, the pinpointed for the, for the failure of that performance. Uh, I, I thought he did brilliantly. I, I thought he managed the team well uh, alongside Willie Hines, um, who I think stepped up and, and really bossed the forwards there. That's one thing you could say about the, t- the two nines in Ben Youngs and, and Willie Hines. They don't, they don't necessarily have out-and-out pace, but their ability to dominate where those forwards are and run the game in and around that area is probably what's tipped the balance, certainly in Willie Hines's case. Um, there's, there's always a lot of talk about Scrum halves will have a lot of pace. Now, to me, if you've got out and out pace as a scrum half, that's a that's a benefit. But it's a sharpness of reaction and service for me, which is a prerequisite for a, for a scrum half, not out and out gas. 
no, and you can you can say someone like Danny Kerr, well, he's got out and out gas, and he he brings so much to England. Well, yeah, he does, and he comes on after sixty minutes when everyone's knackered, and there's gaping holes in and around the breakdown. Um, it's a slightly different game um, when it when it's from the start of a, of a Test match, and I think I think Willie Hines. Look, he he bossed his forwards around. I think I think he probed enough to create space for other players in and around the breakdown, um, and that's exactly what Eddie Jones would be wanting. If you're looking at the centre partnerships, the the roar of delight that came on when Manu Tulangi came on against Wales, and even bigger roar of delight when he scattered about four Welsh players immediately took the ball into contact, shows that not only is he a a huge favourite, but the fact is, used in the right way and given the right ball, uh, you know, he opens up a lot more options for you. And he's fit, isn't he? Yes. He looks fit. He looked very quick, I think, once he'd pinballed all those Welsh defenders and then he took off. Um, he actually looked like he might be able to get to get to the try line himself. I, I think the balance that England have, I think it shifted. We, we were quite reliant on that Farrell forward access for quite a long time yeah. uh, and I think now we can actually say well Henry Slade is a genuine option at, at 13 with Manu Tuolangi as you know a real foil to, to Henry Slade's um, decision making and ability to distribute um, he's a threat in his own right in, in terms of his pace and his ability to use his feet what do you make I mean when you look at the composition of the backs you're probably looking as, as a starting pairing of that if you then go down to Piers Francis' limited number of caps or even press ganging Elliot Daly into a position where he is very good anyway, um, but there are limited um, options if the centres don't stay fit, the first choice ones. Yeah, I think Jonathan Joseph, he played well, didn't he, at the weekend? Yeah. Um, and I've, I've also been a bit of a fan of Jack Noel when he's played at 13. He's yeah. busy anyway from, from the wing. Um, and I think he can provide something different there. But but I think they'd be my first starting pairing in the centres. Yeah. Um, but certainly, yeah, I, I think Priya Francis, his ability to play 10 um, at a push has probably given him the nudge over a couple of others. I mean, very... Uh... He'll have been very impressed and I think more so even relieved that both Joseph and Watson have come, seem to come through, seem not to be carrying injuries, seem to be actually firing as well. Yeah, and I think ahead of a, a World Cup year like this, off the back of what was a massive Premiership season, the pair of them having had that time away from the game, yeah. that's probably given England a bit of a boost because they're, literally chomping at the bit to, yep. to to get going to get playing and I think I think a fit Anthony Watson gets into 95% of the world international teams where I mean, he's the fullback fullback okay I'd have him at fullback yep well, that's going to that's going to be an interesting one given that the daily is is almost a, a certainty to be somewhere aren't you? well <laughs> yes but look these are these are good problems these are good problems to have um up front no real out and out um Surprises, Lewis Ludham, uh, just the one cap. But I know that Lewis Ludham is rated by Eddie Jones. He rates him as a. He's got that dog, which um, is a big thing for for Jones and a lot of uh, of uh, coaches from around his ear. And I understand that Wilson uh, is similar mode. I think the question marks about open side have gone away partially in that Curry and Underhill have shown uh, impressive form. I don't think the 
they will be the thing is they will be better in the future given both their ages it's not their fault you, you can't you can't be more mature than you are yeah. it's just that if you wanted to to, to have an improvement you, you you'd just like them to be a bit more experienced in those, those particular positions i think i think what has been really good for england when when either of those have been playing though is they've been there or thereabouts with man yeah. of the match. Yeah. Um, and I think whoever plays in that position, I, th- I think Eddie Jones mentioned that he wanted Tom Curry to put on some weight. And I actually thought in in the 20 minutes that we saw of him at the weekend, he, he looked a, a lot bigger. Yes. Um, and he certainly contributed massively. And I think a back row with him and him or Underhill at seven, and then Wilson and Vunapola is, is a yeah. really destructive unit. Yeah, you've just gotten to um, respectively nine caps for Underhill and 11. For Curry, ideally, you'd want them both to be in the late 20s, wouldn't you, to have caps? But there's nothing you can do about that. The good thing is uh, that they've, they've got the form. I think the rest of the, the rest of the forwards virtually pick themselves. Um, I, I, you can't see any egregious... Um, uh, I, I, guess, I guess maybe looking at it, you, you would say Jack Singleton's come up on the rails slightly I, you slightly. know um, probably given what's happened to Dylan Hartley over the over the past um, six to eight months with his injuries injury bothers but the thing probably... with Dylan Hartley is you, you've you either got to take him as a first choice or not there's no point you know he, there are things that he, he does give you and things he doesn't if, if if you're not there you know it's a long campaign it's a it's a it's in a country which is going to it's going to be very hot Getting towards the end of your career, you're not going to be as fit and as fresh as you are at the beginning. It's, it's an unfortunate thing for for Dylan Hartley and I. When you when Dylan looks back over his career and he sees the games he's missed and the tournaments he's missed, some through injury, some through his own you know daftness, he will have lots of regrets. But I you know just want to record that he has been a tremendous servant for England. He's, he's given a lot to the cause. Um, in some ways, he, he's unlucky not to go, uh, but I understand the thinking behind him not going. So I just like to, if this is the last time he's, if he doesn't play again, you know, I just like to say thanks very much, Dylan. Uh, now then, as a as a whole with the squad, I mentioned the the factor, which is the immutable statistic that's come out of all World Cup winners, every, without exception, they've all had around 600 caps because that's the sort you need. They've, they've got the possibility of those. Um, is it a squad that you think could do well, could win the lot? I think it is. I, th- I think also, given what's, what's happening elsewhere in um, international rugby, now we're at a point where we genuinely don't know who is going to, Win each game. Each there are probably six teams that can knock each other over on any given performance, um, and I'm really excited going into this tournament that that England c- can do themselves or, or can go very long into the tournament. Well, anyway. well for me, the, 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 yeah, there are there are the, there are three big ones in the in the rugby championship: Australia, South Africa, and New Zealand, Ireland, England, Wales. All genuine prospects. Of winning a tournament, I don't think, I don't think it genuinely you can you, you will be able to tell even until you get towards the semi-finals and hopefully not then because that means it's been a great and a balanced World Cup. Outside that, Japan, uh, Scotland, 
uh, Fiji, Argentina, France, definitely capable of upsetting any of the top six if they happen to get it right. Just don't think those teams probably have the wherewithal to do the lot as the six we, we've named. They could, could be wrong, especially with France. You never know with France. But it, it looks as though... And it is the most open World Cup we've ever had. Yeah, and there's going to be some fantastic games. And some, and because of that, some seriously disappointed fans at times yes. because because each set of fans thinks that they, 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 their own yep. team can go all the way. Yep. Well, for those of you who uh, managed to watch the game, it was a welcome win for England at Twickenham over the weekend against a much stronger, certainly starting 15 for Wales. How's this result gone down in Wales? Because they were briefly seven hours, I think, top of the tree for end world rugby. Now not there anymore. Um, Sean Holly, the former Ospreys coach, is on the line. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Sean. How are you, mate? I'm good. Pleasure to speak to you, Brian. Tom, um, well, there's mixed feelings here in Wales today. I think expectations, as usual, were really high after such a long run of victories for Warren Gatland's men. But um, come back down to uh, number one in the year with yeah. a bump, yeah. and um, uh, reality is hit. Uh, it's a very rusty performance from Wales, a lot of uncharacteristic errors, mm-hmm. uh, too many penalties given away. But uh, there's also a sense of realism from the proper rugby people here in Wales that uh, it's early days yet, they haven't had a game for a while and, uh, you know, the business end clearly comes into pan. i tell you what it seemed to me, and I, I, I have no um, factual basis to say this, it just seemed to me that it, it looked like Wales were in the middle of a very heavy training period and they said, look, this game's here, we've got to play it, but the longer-term goal is uh, obviously Japan and if, if, if some of our players look a bit leaden, uh, and, and some did to me, then, then so be it. This is something Gatlin's done in the past, isn't it? He's tailored, you know, trainings to longer-term ends and, and games that have become instant have just had to take their course. Yeah, you're spot on, Brian. Uh, Warren does this superbly well. One of the best coaches in the world at doing this. Uh, he's prepared to take a few hits here and there and would have scheduled in these games as part of their training regime. Nobody likes to lose games. You know, of course, you and Tom would know that, but... You know, he's got his eye on the prize. This is his swan song for Wales. And uh, he will, you know, so, certainly sort of put that in the, the sort of calendar. One thing that will be alarming for Warren will be, obviously, the, 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 the three tries conceded and the number of penalties. You know, Wales have prided themselves on Sean Edwards' defence. And they certainly didn't come out of the blocks. You know, Alan Jones said that they were a bit wary in that first 20 minutes. But Wales are notoriously slow starters in any sort of campaign. And if you include these sort of four games as a mini-block campaign, if you like, you know that Wales will get stronger. 14-point deficit at half-time, 12 all in the second half, so showing improvement in the second half. And, of course, you know, when you look at it uh, from a coach's eye, like my three tries scored, three tries conceded, they can build on this. They know the defence will get better. And perhaps the one downside to really come out of it is injuries to, to Gareth Anscombe during the game and Thomas Williams has come out before the game. So, you know, that's going to possibly take its toll on Warren's squad and uh, probably more to come. Sean, if Gareth Anscombe is fit, and let's all hope he's past fit, does the Welsh 15 pick itself now? Or does Warren Gatlin have any genuine sort of selection headaches? I, I still think he has some headaches, Tom. I think, as well as Gareth Anscombe did in the Six Nations, there's still that 
slight question mark over him. He answered his, his sort of critics with his goal kicking in the Six Nations. But in terms of the game management, Dan Bigger is still possibly the man in a one-off big game that he would go to. Uh, having said that, Dan has done so well off the bench that there's an area there. He loves Lee Halfpenny, the tried and trusted, you know, master goal kicker. Uh, he'll be in the squad. Whether he'll favour Liam Williams at 15, which would be my preferred choice, I don't know. And another area perhaps after yesterday is in the front row. I thought the props coming on, Dylan Lewis and Windjust did well in the loose, but you know, certainly in the scrum, England was so dominant. And then there's always been a question mark over the lineup. But, you know, Adam Beard, still a young player. Alan Jones picks himself. The only other selection issue possibly, Tom, for me, is does a fit again. Josh Navidi come into that back row now. Uh, Tolupe Falato is out. I certainly felt that Ross Moriarty, Shingler, when he came on, looked very, very rusty. But it's early days. He will pretty much know 95% of that 15. And he's shown it in the first couple of games, saying he's going to go fully loaded. The uh, the game that's coming up, the, the return fixture, the uh, Principality, um, if the long-term goal is there, it shouldn't make any difference um, as to how Wales approach it. But bearing in mind the manner of the loss, do you think it will uh, change any thinking? Uh, no, I don't think. I think he'll use it as a stepping stone. I think you go very close to that side on the weekend. He may think a little bit, bring the likes of Navidi in, maybe start Jake Ball. Uh, he'd probably have to start Dan Bigger at 10 now. But in the main, he'll go with perhaps, you know, the core of his side. And he look to build on whatever positives he got from last week. I think in the bigger picture, you know, thinking about the World Cup, right, um, you know, there's a chance that if Wales don't come through their pool um, in a real positive manner, you know, they, they could face England in the quarterfinals. And whatever permutation that is, it would give an incentive now. And I see England off the back of that and the depth they have, the squad they picked, that they will win their group. And Wales now have a real motivation. Not that any quarterfinal is easy, but, you know, to avoid England in that quarterfinal, they have to win the group and thus beat Australia, who looked brilliant, albeit against 14 men on the weekend. That leads me on to my next question, Sean, which is how disappointed were you that Australia beat the All Blacks at the weekend, <laughs> given given your results that have gone against Australia in the past? They, they were magnificent, Tom, weren't they? Uh, but, you know, you play a long period of 40 men, as you well know, even the All Blacks, they uh, they can't cope with that. Australia do look better. I know that a former colleague of mine, Scott Johnson, going back, will already be making a difference behind the scenes. But, you know, we have a good record recently. Um, I think they're still confident. I think this is a blip, but they, they know which way which way they're going. I still think they're confident of beating Australia, but it's going to be a hell of a game now, isn't it? You know, um, what, what a, a match. You know? And it's going to be England if they win their pool to play Wales or Australia. I mean, come on, England will be licking their lips. Sean, um, great to speak to you again. Uh, round two uh, is shortly coming up. In fact, rounds three, four, five, and, and, and however many. Um, <laughs> I'd, we'd love to speak to you not only in the further on in the build-up, but also during the World Cup if you're about, mate. I will, mate. It's my pleasure. It's good to speak to you both. Take care. There you are, Sean Holly, uh, the former Ospreys coach, a very good, deep thinker, contributor regularly to the uh, podcast Full Contact. Uh, let's just mention uh, the Irish who started with a fairly routine, uh, a good win actually over the Irish, but it came at a little bit of a cost with an injury to uh, Carberry. This uh, is one of the problems. John Schmidt was critical of the squad limits, um, said they're very tight. 
talking about player welfare, six-day turnaround, five-day turnaround, 31 players, very complicated. There have got to be limits. I, I actually agree with him that 31, as opposed to, say, 35, just four players can make quite a bit of difference. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, most professionals now aren't used to to turning around in six days, and it, and it is tough, and it does put pressure on squads. And if, if you do have, let's face it, three games into this tournament everyone's going to have some sort of bump um, so you have to be able to manage it but I guess also on the flip side of that there's an argument to say well it's it's part of winning the World Cup is being able to manage that and get the, bump, the most out of your players and the best out of your players given given the constraints that you have and that is a, that's a good point actually because um, you, you it's not usually apparent um, to the outside uh, to the layperson but you'll find in in, in World Cup stories, uh, hidden uh, you know subplots about certain players carrying things, about players being switched around, and about how people juggle their resources. And as you say, it's quite often the case that the teams that go furthest are the best at doing this, the ones with the most options. Which is why, when you look at some selections and you see players who aren't necessarily first choice, when you look at their ability, not only to um, play more than one position, but to last games, then you're looking at players who play key roles because it's not just game to game. You might need a 15-minute period within a game where you have to switch around, or a 20-minute period. And players like an Elliot Daly, just for example in England, they can play several back positions, then really, really show their worth. Yeah, I've just slid out the, 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 the England, England World Cup squad again in front of me, and there's probably... Eight, nine, ten players just in that back line that can play two or three positions, mm-hmm. and that's a great thing for for Eddie Jones to be able to go right. Well, you know he needs to sit out this one because we need him further down the line. Let's go with it with a with a different option and and the selection and the and the contributions that that, that players can make in those various um, positions. You're right that they they go a long way to seeing how far teams progress in the tournament. Well, South Africa wrapped up the rugby championship with a 46-13 win over Argentina at the weekend to deconstruct that and indeed the rest of the rugby championship and indeed anything he wants to because he's such a good lad is Bob Skinstad, the former Springbok captain who's on the line. Hello, Bob. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, a good win. Look, the form since Erasmus has taken over, he's only been in charge a little uh, around a year what has he done? How has he brought this turnaround? I think it's a combination of things, Brian. Um, you know, and you're right. The, the 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 results have been more promising and sort of getting more promising. Um, he's he's an old school coach, and and I think he's just gone to to the powers that be and said, I, I need more control over my team. I need control over selection. Um, and then he's used that power to to keep the same players together. You know, we're seeing guys. Who've, who've now played three years of international rugby and are good players, but they were a little bit at sea two years ago, you know, and, and now they're starting to perform. So I think it's it's a combination of those two. You know, he, he he's a very good coach, very strategically um, astute, uh, but he's also now able to put players into positions for an extended period of time. It does help when you've got, arguably, three of the best scrum halves in the world, all being South African. That creates a good competition. I just wonder, I don't think it's the same at fly-half for you. Andre Pollard is the gem that you wouldn't want to be without, isn't he? That's so true. I mean, I, I think Pollard is a, 
sort of Tom Brady-esque. I mean, you know, he, he could be or could have been for, for a long time one of our finest ever fly halves. But, you know, he had a, he had a small injury problem at the beginning of his career. Um, and and then also he, he, he's, he's not necessarily from the right background to, to, to push other fly halves out of, um, out of that position in South Africa. So I think it goes back to that, that the conundrum South Africa's always had. We, we don't have a problem with talent. It's just getting the right talent in the right places. And Bob, talking of the right talent, looking at a couple of those guys, Faf de Klerk and Cheslin Colby, do you think playing overseas has has made them better players? And are the lads that playing overseas then adding and developing the South African game? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think I think the, the guys playing overseas have probably been exposed to a slightly more professional, um, definitely more worldly approach to the to the game. Um, and Cheslin Colby's a, a case in point. I watched Cheslin as a as a seventeen year old kid. He was just electric at our at our national schools competition, and we always knew he was going to go on and be a great player. Uh, but we always thought that he, you know, he might be resigned to being a, a sort of a, a smaller than usual, but very fast winger who wasn't ready for international standard. And he's just proven, you know, playing, you know, in the in the French leagues week in and week out that that he's good enough, whether he's big enough or not. He sort of disproved that whole theory. And um, I think they bring that definitely to the game. I also think that 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 South Africa does best when there's a healthy mix of different influences you know some english some afrikaans some uh you know previously disadvantaged some from from township type backgrounds i mean you look at what sia khaleesi's done with this guijo squad that they've got this the, the team are singing and happy and ululating i i just love it this 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 sort of hot pot of of culture reflecting in the team which is it's so much what south africa is about uh, Seb Poole as New Zealand in the World Cup and I uh, have pondered about this a lot of South Africans have said to me they're glad because that means they can't meet them uh, anywhere else but the final but last three games you've had a narrow win narrow loss and a draw so um, would you say it doesn't make much difference no one to be feared from your point of view? I think, Brian, you know World Cups as you know are, are, are funny old things you know there's the bounce of the ball and, and next thing you, you, you beat New Zealand in your pool, but you've got three or two difficult quarterfinal and, and semifinals in a row, and then you've got to meet them again. You know, what, what would you rather have? That's five, that's four seriously hard test matches in a row. So I think um, they would want to beat New Zealand and, ha- and give themselves a slightly easier quarterfinal if possible. But, you know, Ireland, who, who are the only other team with a surprise victory over the, over the All Blacks recently, um, are the person you're up against in the quarterfinals. So I think you've just got to say, listen, whoever we're playing, we need to prepare our game. We need to make sure that we can score enough tries. It was, it was very clear in the rugby championship that the All Blacks are not scoring as many points as they did last year, mm. average of 18 as opposed to average of 37. So a, a try-scoring Springbok team will have a chance against them and anybody else. Well, one thing that is an immutable, just... As much as South Africa turn up and are competitive in major tournaments, Australia always do. I, I never had any doubt that they would be in reasonable fettle going into this World Cup, no matter what their form was outside it. And indeed, that thumping 47-26 win over the All Blacks, albeit aided by what to me was a deserved red card, um, has had people you know, saying that the world has changed. But I think it's only changed if you haven't been paying attention. 
<laughs> yeah, that's well said. I mean, there's two things I agree with wholeheartedly. There, the red card was a red card on any field in the world, especially with the advancement of the laws and how how careful we need to be about, um, you know, protecting against concussion. Um, and you know, by way of example as well. And then second of all, the Australians always turn up to a World Cup. You know, they've got a tremendous squad. I'm delighted to see James O'Connor back because. He's a guy who, who quite openly has, has struggled more with mental preparation and mental fortitude more than physical, um, the physical side of the game. He's an amazing athlete. Uh, and then you see people like Kirtley Beale playing very, very well again. Christian Leal-Lefano, who's, who's back and, and suddenly proving to be an option. I think they're going to be very dangerous at this World Cup. And I, and I think um, Michael Checker's got the, the type of fighting spirit that, that will allow this team to, to, to gel now. You know, now that he's got a team that are confident and playing some decent rugby, I think uh, it, they're definitely going to be a tough team to beat. And on that Australian theme, it was only a few weeks ago that there were some people saying that the Australians might struggle against the Fijians in their first game. Then how do you think, from, from a neutral's perspective, this will be quite interesting, how do you think the, the Welsh are going to do against the, the Australians? Because that's quite important from an Englishman's point of view. It's, a, it's very important. I mean, if you look at where they end up, that, that game is, for me, one of the, one of the picks of the early rounds. Um, you know, the, 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 the Welsh team... With their, with their, uh, their, their, their brief flirt with number one in the world, uh, which was absolutely lovely and, and, and well celebrated, um, are, are a fantastic team. And they've done exceptionally well against this Wallaby team in the last, I think, two uh, clashes that they've had. But if you look at the Wallabies at the top of their form and the Welsh at the top of their form, you couldn't pick a winner, could you? So it's going to be an almighty clash. And I just think... The other teams will benefit because there's going to be some, some big bodies running at big bodies. And, and it's whoever comes out the other side with the points and with their, their playing personnel uh, intact. Bob, uh, great to speak to you as always. I hope we can uh, get you back on uh, both in the run-up to and during the World Cup because you've got a tremendous point of view. It's very kind of you, Brian. I'd, I'd love to do that and I, I hope to see more of you guys. Take care. Thank you. That's Bob Skinsad, former Springbok captain. Uh, Sounding rather chipper. No, no reason not to be either. Um, the way that uh, the box are going, it's, and he is right. They've, they, you know, when you consider how many players play outside South Africa, you know, over three hundred eight, you know, around three hundred eighty, and a phenomenal number. They never had a problem with talent. It's all just a question of of, of, of getting it in the right order, as they say. We've got to cover this. Um, the Scott Barrett red card. To me, it was a red card. I don't know anyone outside New Zealand who doesn't think it was a red card, and yet... <laughs> Andy Good didn't think it was a red card. No, well, no. Perhaps it comes from a different era. Well, he does. <laughs> a harder era. Look, I, no, the, the, the fact is, I mean, Eddie Jones has, you know, said he, 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 there's a red card that affected the game. He, what he wants is consistency. If you lose a, through, a player through a red card, it makes the game very difficult. He's just calling for consistency. Everyone wants consistency. But that doesn't mean to say the decisions are wrong. It means to say if people aren't doing it the same way, they're wrong. Yeah, I mean, that for me at the weekend was a was a red card all day. I don't think you can go into any contact 
when a, when a player is in that position with your arm bent and close to your body, there's no attempt to make a tackle. And he's he's a sizable human being, isn't he, Scott Barrett? Yep. A, against a lot lot smaller player, um, and made direct contact. That that is a red. I don't see how anyone can argue against that. You also the player's reaction. You you knew that he knew he was in trouble. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, which which makes you think. Well, why? Put yourself in a position to actually do that because, as you know, unfortunately, you, you do things at the time which the instant time which you think immediately, I wish I hadn't done that, but you have done, yeah, and it's on TV <laughs> and, and everyone can TV. see it, and it's right in front of the yeah. ref. Um, so you, you know, I think I think everyone's pretty pretty accepting of the fact that, that that is now a red card. We do have to look after players and, and the way that they uh, are going into contact and the way that the contact is in and around the tackle. Um, but we do have to find more consistency, which I think is a really difficult thing for the yeah. referees when it's happening. At it is hard. So quick. I mean, I've read that you you've seen the guidelines, the, the drop down menu as to what you do here and there. Provided they stick to those, then uh, then you, they can at least justify what they've done. If they depart from those, they're silly because they're, they're in plain, you know, black and white. In fact, they're, they're in, in all sorts of colours. But the element of subjectivity about whether you think it was dangerous, whether it wasn't, whether it's a mitigating factor, those sometimes are going to be subjective. You never, you can never get complete consistency. All you've got to say is that you've got to try to aim for it, and that, and that's the uh, the long and short of it. I just let's get this out of the way. From my point of view, you can comment after. It. Anyone who says that the game is going soft obviously doesn't watch games. They don't attend games. You see games. The collisions are phenomenal. And, you know, I've seen training sessions where the, the intensity has been beyond all recognition of what games used to be like in, in previous uh, incarnations. So the, the, this brigade of the game has gone soft. They, if, if they want to have a game which is, you know, just where people take cheap shots at each other, go and watch something else. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think I think what people mean by the games going soft is when is when the inconsistencies raise their yes. head, um, and and that is that is the point. And I think probably they end up. It's a massive sweeping generalisation because of something so they find so frustrating at the time. Yeah. Um, but you you speak to any of those players and tell them that the game's going soft on a Sunday morning, exactly. and they'll probably disagree with you. Well, I mean, look, let, let's give an example: the Cipriani red card at the beginning of last season, where. Effectively, someone came into him, and he, he he almost was a reaction to protect himself and and and, and stop the player. That, that that's the sort of thing where you you think actually that's that's not a red card. Yeah, because you actually have to understand the players as well, yes. don't you? When you when yes. you, now there's no way that Danny Cipriani is actually trying to smack someone in the head. Yeah. Um, given we all know that tackling is probably not at the forefront of his game. Yeah. Um, but. You know, you you have to look at, you have to try and empathise with the player yeah. from the position that they find themselves in at yeah. that very time. And I think referees are getting much better at it, but it's never ever going to be a job where you go right. I get that a correct one hundred percent. The question the time. that they should ask a lot more often that they don't is not what did not what did you not intend to do is what did you intend to do. Give us an explanation as to what you were trying to do, and if it's consistent, then. We might find something that's a mitigating factor. I've always said this. People say, oh, I didn't do it. So, yeah, but what were you doing then? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's a better question to ask. Let's have a look at some of the other experimental changes. Look, we had to abandon the low tackle height from the shoulder to the armpit as it, in the championship. We found out that he actually, 
increase the number of concussions. I put my hand up. I didn't think it would do. I think it would be the other way around. But there you go. You've got to uh, go with the available evidence. There's quite a few coming, uh, and a couple from rugby league. There's a the equivalent of the forty twenty. I don't know if you know that rule in yeah. rugby league. Yeah. Where it's called a fifty twenty two. He's going to be in rugby, and that means that if um, you kick to touch indirectly, I either bounce the ball into touch either from your own half into the opposition 22 or from inside your own 22 into the opposition half, then you'll get the line-out throw. The reason behind this is to try and force the wingers to drop deep out of the defensive line and give further space around the side. It's proved partially successful in rugby league. Uh, it's not... It was a. It was, a, it was very much in vogue when it started. You see less of them now. I think it will be the same in rugby union. Whatever you do with this, yeah, I think it's probably. A, if you brought it in, you would find that there was a huge amount of space for a time. Um, but then, as we've seen, defence coaches find a way to, to to manage that process and, and change and try and try and find other areas that they can attack. I think it would be. <laughs> From an attacking perspective, it is really difficult to try and find space, yeah. and we do have to try and find a way to to just create a, a few more holes for players to go looking for because it, it's very difficult. People want to see an open running game. Um, they don't necessarily want to see people running directly into each other, which reverts back to the point that we've just been talking about as well. Yeah. And the more and more that we can find little factors that can contribute to more space, I think it'll benefit the game in the whole. What about this one? Um, the defending team at the moment, if they hold up a man who's driving for the line, they hold him up in the in-goal area, there's a five-yard uh, scrum, five-metre scrum. It's proposed to trial a law where you get a drop-out from your own try line, so actually the, there's a turnover of the ball. This is, an, again, a, you know, a, um, a, a, a rugby league-type uh, variation. I can see pros and cons of this. I can see both why you shouldn't be uh, persuaded or dissuaded from going for a try because you might get held up. But it, it might it might make teams spread the ball wider when there's the incessant, very close drives to the line that take you know minutes off the clock. I don't know. Well, we saw we saw with England yesterday they they broke, didn't they? Whereas they were close to the line. Actually, yeah. Willie Hines nearly got in himself. Um, I quite like that idea. I think a lot of teams, some teams would be like, well, I don't want to do that because we'll stick with our set piece. Thank you very much. But other teams would be like, broken field, kick us the ball. It, it, we're straight into our phase play and that's exactly where they want it to be. It means they could create two sides to attack from. They could they could set up a, a breakdown in the middle of the field. Um, but from the other, from the defensive point of view, if if you were kicking the ball long, you prefer the ball to be away from your own try line as opposed to be, you know, sat with a team right on top of you and you don't have any space to... You have to come forward and make defensive decisions rather than having the ability to drift away. Yeah, I... I, I, I'm, I'm meant to be seen, to be convinced about that one. We'll, we'll see what the results of that. I don't think there's any harm in trying any of these things. There's uh, proposed to be a review of a yellow card during a player simbin period to make sure that... Um, it shouldn't be upgraded to a red card. Can't see the harm in that, provided you don't get too officious. You know, you've, you've made one decision. You supposedly all made it together. Who's going to make this? I mean, who does the sighting officer do this? Or? I think also don't start slowing things down because we'll have a million red cards. You know, if, we, if, if you're then going to look at it from, from a point of view and say, right, I, I think slowing things down, which is what, what's happening with the TMOs, I, I think that takes 
it takes a, or it creates more problems that, than it does solve. So I, I think that's that's an interesting one. If they, if they looked at that, I, I, I get it, but you can't, like you say, you can't go into too much detail. The other thing is, if you get a yellow card and you make substitutions accordingly to plan for 10 minutes and then it's suddenly red... If it takes it in the ninth minute of the double whammy of the period, you'd think, oh well, if you'd have told me this nine minutes ago, I'd have made a different <laughs> substitution, wouldn't I? So that that might be an unintended consequence of that. Um, they're looking at a basketball total team foul limit. Now, I can understand this. However, I can also see how this will close out effectively games for weaker teams because teams who come under pressure, especially things like scrums. You know, scrums are one of the only things where if you're just not as good as the other team, you get penalised for it. You know, normally, if you, if you can't tackle as well, you, you carry on. In line-outs, you, you carry on and so on. Well, in scrums, it seems that if you get on the back foot, you, you're going to be given a... You're going to be, be carded at some point. And if you if you start doing this... I, I think, that's to me, the sanctions are there enough. You, you can warn people, you can make cumulative things anyway in decisions without having to have this automatic uh, limit. It, it's probably not an area that if it's if it's not broke, don't try and fix it. I, yeah. I, I think I think there's not there's not enough of an issue around that to, to, to warrant mass changes. The other thing is this. When you've got a, 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 a foul limit, you might uh, you might concede four in the first 20 minutes. Say it's a foul foul limit. I mean, if it, does it get wiped off at some point and you go again in the second half? Because what, what happens if you give a penalty in the last minute? Or, sorry, the, the last 10 minutes? It's like then, reviewing the cricket, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you're like, oh, I really shouldn't have so, taken that. So <laughs> probably... And to me, what it is, is to stop teams just continually giving penalties. But, 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 but referees can solve that anyway by saying the next one is a yellow card. You, I don't... This, to me... Is fraught with problems. I'm not sure this is a good idea. No, I think I think also you're taking a lot of the power away from the referee, aren't you? That yes. he is there for a reason. Yes. So back your referees. Don't try and create ways that that actually you can get them out of sticky situations. That's what they're there. And for. there is a big difference between I've pulled them all down three times when you go for a thing, and silly ones like ones that are marginal, stepping offside, leaving your hand in there, some you know, um, being in front of a kicker when your ball rebounds yeah. and stuff like that. You could suddenly find yourself on a team limit for, for very trivial offences. Yeah, genuine mistakes. Genuine mistakes, which are not is not really what it's aimed no. at, in my opinion. No. And finally, they're looking at reducing the number of replacements. Um, I've always said this. I've said they should be doing this straight away. Not only would it make the game better, it would make it cheaper uh, for clubs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have to have, you wouldn't have to have as many players. Um, Going back to the old three. Well, I, the, the, we've got into a situation where now thinking has become so stereotyped on this that players think, I, I couldn't possibly play 80 minutes. Well, that's yes. The, that's the point, right? Yeah, that's the point. You've got to change your body shape and your fitness, so you would, and so would everyone else. Yeah. Because at the moment, half of you are playing eighty minutes against players who are not playing eighty minutes. Now that can't be any less dangerous than playing eighty minutes against players who are also playing eighty minutes, can it? No, but also if we're trying to find ways of creating space, space, yes. Then as players get more and more tired, then then the game becomes Absolutely. far more open, which is exactly what we want to see. Yeah. 
Oh, and a final one. The requirement for players to move away from the ball immediately when they're off their feet at a rook. Now, I thought this was a rule. <laughs> I thought it was a law. Anyway, <laughs> certainly the tackler, uh, someone in and around the tackle area, yes. The, the, I mean, the, the, the problem is if you're not on your feet straight away in a rook, you're not going to get back on your feet. That's you know, no. the way they are. Yeah, they'd, they'd be far better, I think. Just policing uh, it properly. Just policing it properly, especially the entries. Yeah. You know, the the the, the planing and landing and all that sort of stuff. So, anyway, look, there are uh, rule changes. There's trials going to be uh, made. I don't have any problem having trials. Always try and make the game uh, better. With the caveat, and the important caveat, as you have said, if he's not really broken, don't try and fix it because chances are unintended consequences that never quite go. If there's a serious problem, yeah. Yeah. But you've got, and you also got to accept that not everything makes the game better. No, and I think the serious issues around player safety and, and, and like like that have to be addressed. Yes, which and the, and the World Rugby are doing a brilliant job of doing that. But don't you know? Let's not just create a massive mess of the game. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for this week on the first Brian Moore's full contact of the season with the Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors in the UK. Thank you very much to my co-host Tom May. Good luck in Japan. Thank you to all our guests. Please do subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode every Monday during the Rugby World Cup and beyond. And remember, if you want to write a review whilst you're there too, please go for it. For now though, goodbye. Goodbye.